Good morning, Ports Community. How are you? Everybody good? All right, so whether you're here in person or watching online, we're really glad you're with us today. Um, if you're checking us out for the very first time here in person, I want to extend a special welcome to you. We're really glad you decided to spend your Sunday morning with us. I'm Justin, and I'm really excited about uh, the word that I believe God has for us this morning. Uh, we're in a series, we're in week two of a series called Doxy Praxy, all right? So what we've done is we've taken two words, and we've kind of shortened them and kind of smushed them together, right? Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. We put them together to make doxy-praxy. Ortho means to correct, to make right, to straighten. For instance, an orthodontist straightens what? Your teeth, that's right. An orthopedist, Dr. Parsons, what do orthopedists do? Y'all, they, everybody laughs when I call him Dr. Parsons. Or, orthopedist, he works at VOA. All right, straightens bones or sets bones, right? We know all about that. So doxy means beliefs or understanding, and praxy means behavior. It means practice or behavior. So orthodoxy, right thinking or right beliefs. Orthopraxy, which means right practice or behavior. So our tagline is, of doxy praxy is what you believe determines how you behave. What you believe determines how you behave. And how you behave reveals what you believe. So it's, it goes both ways. In other words, our beliefs determine our actions. Our beliefs determine our behaviors. Beliefs produce behaviors and behaviors reveals beliefs. So, so uh, you know, most of the time, some, most of us would err on one side or the other of this um, some of us are works people, like you got, if there's no doing, then it's just, it's, it didn't happen, there's, it doesn't exist. When it comes to our Christian faith, and, and some of us are like, well, you know, the belief is more, you know, what I believe is more important than what I do, because I'm not perfect, right? So, you know, I, you know I'm going to mess up, We're, no one's perfect, so I, I believe that Jesus died for me, and yet I don't always live that, and it's, it's okay, like, I'm, a, I'm not perfect, so we're, here we are. But I believe the two are married, and we can't separate the two, faith and works, right? Faith without works is what? Dead, 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 and more dead, right? We cannot divorce the two. They are together. So belief, beliefs produce behaviors, and behaviors reveal our beliefs. So the apostle John, who's an interesting character anyway, uh, he, he wrote a gospel. Um, he wrote the final book of the Bible, Revelation, and he, he also writes these th- three tiny little letters um, at, toward the end of the Bible, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the overarching theme of these books is love. Now, you read them, and you're like, man, he's stepping on my toes a little bit. Doesn't feel like love to me. Feels a little, this is painful, because John tells it like it is. Let's be real, and that's, to me, there's a, there's a trait of an apostle, that if you'll look at their letters, the people that encountered Jesus for real in the flesh, they did not beat around the bush. They got right to the point. Have you ever noticed that? James, a disciple, his book is, man, it will hurt you in the best way. John, he and his brother were called the sons of thunder, tempers, right? They got to the point. So it's, it's kind of ironic that he's called the apostle of, of love because most of his books come back to the theme of love. Although if you read them, 
at the surface, you're like, man, this doesn't feel like love to me. In this series, what we've been doing is walking through the first of these three letters, 1 John. And I want you to turn there with me, 1 John. It's in the very back of the Bible almost. Um, And we're discussing the relationship between what we believe and how we behave. So today I want us to take a look at a core belief in the Christian faith and how we think about this particular concept and how it affects how we live. Today, let's talk about probably the most misunderstood, yet one of the most essential beliefs in all the Christian faith, and that is grace. Grace. Now, before you check out, Justin, Justin, I've heard all there is to know about grace. I've heard it all. We sing Amazing Grace. I've sung it all my life. I know it's awesome. Grace is awesome. But is it really to you? Question, does grace like like sometimes just blow your mind? Does it like overwhelm your soul when you think about God's goodness? It ought to. If it doesn't, it should. How can we get to a point where grace so affects us in how we live our lives? How how can we get to a point where we let grace wash over us? Not just the grace of, the, the, the initial grace of Forgiveness of sin, which is uh, amazing. There's no, there's no uh, comparing that to anything else in all the universe. Jesus going to a cross because he wanted to, because he chose to for you and for me. That is grace at the core. It's unmerited favor. It's favor God shows us when we don't deserve it. And that's in and of itself, it's a sermon right there, and it's amazing. We could say amen and go, heck yeah, that's true. But have you ever allowed that concept of grace just wash over your mind and your heart just for a little while to contemplate the ramifications of grace? Because I believe if we did, the belief in what grace is and how it impacts us would change. Therefore, the behavior and the way we live our lives would most certainly change. See, we don't, in the Christian faith, it's not good enough to say, you know, you need to straighten up. You need to change the behavior. We don't, we don't change by trying harder to be who God designed us to be. That doesn't change anyone. We don't change by effort. We change through grace. Grace is the great transforming work of Christ, not just on the cross, but every moment thereafter. Every moment not just only for the forgiveness of sins, all that, that's enough, but every area of life where we need God to be there and be present and help and be our rock and be our fortress, that is the grace of God. I'm having a hard time explaining it because it's, it's so hard to grasp. See, grace is so misunderstood and so underappreciated that most people never even scratch the surface of what grace is. And what happens when we fully embrace its power in our lives? So today, if we can just begin to pull back some layers on grace, maybe get us to think and go a little deeper, trying to grasp the incredible nature of God's goodness. We just sang about that and love. We will change. We will be changed. As the belief changes, the behaviors will follow suit. For most Christians, grace is a tenet. It's a religious idea. It's nothing more than a concept, and 
it kind of ends at the cross and the empty tomb, which is obviously that's a culmination, but it extends to every moment of our lives, good and bad. See, grace is more than a religious idea. In 1 John chapter 1, John makes a series of declarations about God, about us, and about our condition and how it relates back to God and what he accomplished on our behalf. We, uh, we had uh, an amazing weekend this past weekend, a grace changes everything weekend. If you were here, let me hear you. Ooh, a little bit of, yep, yeet, that's right. There you go, got one yeet. That was, that was not, you didn't have any, any conviction behind it, that's all right. Amazing weekend uh, for a, kind of a retreat weekend for our adults, uh, Friday night and, and Saturday up until a little bit after lunch. Amazing. And, and it was all about the concept of God's grace and, and how uh, it changes us. It ought to change us. And so today's uh, message goes right along with that. Um, I agree full, wholeheartedly. Um, what I found out was and what I've known all my life is that uh, Christians... Most Christians believe in grace, but their lives say that they don't. Most Christians believe in amazing grace, how sweet the sound, but their lives do not reflect the grace of God, not only for themselves, but for others. It's it's true. And so you and I have to reset what we believe about grace. You and I have to go deeper and understand how transformative grace really is, is life altering, life altering. I believe that today, life altering. It can be. So 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, let's read them together. It says, this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you, God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth, behaviors, but but if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim to have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. The separation between belief and and behavior. And it says in the good news in verse 9, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. At first glance, this passage is like, man, he is just getting me right now. He's just like, you're a liar if you don't live this truth out. It's true. But it hurts. So this is about to be about love, right? It's supposed to be about love. It doesn't feel very loving to me at first. At first glance, we think he's dealing with just, he's simply calling out behavior. At first glance, we read this and we say, oh, I need to clean up the way I talk and, and do things and go where I go and what I do, who I do it with. I, I, I'm telling you, that's what we, for centuries, believers have read this passage that, in that light. We've read it simply as a, you need to, we, need to, we need to get our actions together. We need to clean up our behaviors so that God 
will be pleased with us. And the simple truth of grace is that God is pleased with you, not because of you, but because of what Christ did, who he is. And that blood washes over all sin, all shortcomings in our lives. And we claim that over our lives, and we live into that. And God is pleased with his son, therefore we have been made blameless. Not sinless, but blameless through grace. Amen? This is the life-altering grace of God. It will alter the way you think about God. It will alter the way you think about yourself. And it will alter the way you think about others. Really, it goes deeper than just deeds here. He's, he's getting at something deeper here. It's not just about doing or not doing. It's getting the heart to the root of the behavior, praxi, right? John is challenging what we believe here, doxy. And he's trying to get us to surrender all our preconceived notions about God and who he is and how he deals with us. Here, John uses the natural contrast of light and dark to describe God's nature here. And to reveal a profound truth. That light here in this context in 1 John 1 is grace. Light is grace. So you can put grace in, that, in, the, in, the, in the place of light anywhere you see it. God is grace. It's who he is. It, it cannot be separated from his personality. God is grace. Three things this morning I believe that grace will change if we allow God the room to do so. First and foremost... First, uh, before anything, God changes how, grace changes how we see God. Verse 5 in 1 John 1 says, This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light. There is no darkness in him at all. And then back in John's gospel, in the first chapter, in verse 14 of the book of John, the gospel of John, it says, So the word became human. And made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. That is the definition of grace right there. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's uh, only Son. The New King James says, We beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. John is saying here, We beheld his glory. We saw it with our own eyes. He spent three and a half years with Jesus. Some say John was Jesus' best friend, closest confidant. He was there at the foot of the cross when Jesus was crucified, the only disciple that that didn't run, the only disciple who lived to be an old man. The rest of them died young men, martyrs. John died in exile on a small Greek island and wrote a book in his dying days, Revelation. So John knew what he was looking at when he beheld the glory of God. John saw with his own eyes what God was all about. Humanity's view of God from that point on when Jesus came, it would forever be changed. You see, We no longer had to guess about what God was like. We no longer had to guess uh, what God is like. Uh, If we want to know what God is like, we just need to open our Bibles to the Gospels, the four Gospels, and study the life, the words, the actions of Jesus. You'll then see God's personality. 
You'll see what God is like. And you'll see how God feels about you. Grace changes everything. It says full, he was full of grace and truth, John wrote. Grace not only changes how we see God, it will change how you see yourself. Ephesians chapter 2, um, well, I call it a grace chapter in the Bible. Um, I remember the night grace shattered my life. It changed everything for me. 16 years old, in my room, on my face, reading this passage. Ephesians 2 says this, verse 1. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. But by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ seated, uh, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus, because of what Christ has done. So God, verse 7, can point to us in all future ages as examples, not of how good we can be, but examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. It will change the way you view yourself. You read this and you say, man, I don't deserve one thing from God. I, I can compare myself all day to the people around me. And I can say I got my life together pretty good. I'm better than they are, but I'm not as good as they are. This is what we do. And that squelches the grace of God quicker than anything. Man, that blows the fire. That snuffs out the fire of grace so quick. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm better than they are. I don't party like they do. I come to church at least after partying. At least, at least I do that. At least I don't sleep in. Man, we've got this thing about grace all wrong. What we do is we compare and we say, you know what? I'm not as bad as them. I'm better than they are. So, you know, God, you've got to be pleased with me, right? And God says, nothing you can do on your best day will please my, me and my nature. I am pleased with you just because. You deserve nothing but death. I gave you life because of my grace. There is zero that you can do to please me, to attain any good thing that I give you. I give it for free. Does that not change the way you see yourself? It's really difficult to love God and all that he's done for you if you don't love yourself. It's real difficult to do. If you do not, if you are not viewing yourself through the lens of grace, you cannot fully appreciate what God has done on that cross for you. You'll be numb. You'll go through the motions. You'll try to live the best life you can. You'll slip into heaven. That's about it. 
And God wants more for you. Grace changes the way we see God. Grace changes the way we see ourselves. That night when I was reading Ephesians chapter 2 in my, my room, 16-year-old, why, why, why did I change? What changed for me? Grace stopped being a, a religious idea for me. And it, in that moment, it became the air that I was breathing. And that night I realized that God didn't look at me the way I looked at myself. And I felt loved in a deeper way and with more <laughs> ferocity than ever before in my life. God changed the way I saw myself through grace. I didn't all of a sudden gain self-confidence or self-assuredness. I, I, you know, I had plenty of that, too much of it as a, as a teenager. And yet I hated myself. I just didn't think, think grace was just fully, it just wasn't real. You know, one of the great concerns of the church is that we, believe, we say we believe in grace, but our lives don't bear that out. They just don't. It's just too good. It's just something about grace cannot be that good. It cannot be once and for all. That cross cannot pay for everything, can it? That cross cannot cover all shortcomings, can it? That cross can't change the way I see myself. I am so toxic in the way I see myself and other people. That can't change that, can it? God, can you change that? He most certainly can. But It's going to take something from you. Not works, not toiling really hard to be the great Christian that you think you ought to be. It's going to take some surrender on your part and my part. Thirdly, grace changes the how, how we see other people. We can't just say, stop, stop arguing, stop hating other people. You know, stop, stop being that way. You know, if, if, that, were, if that were so, if, if effort could change that, then, you know, I, I, as much as I've tried... I might have had a breakthrough at this point, but nothing changes the behavior except grace. I can't see others the way God sees them unless grace empowers me to do so. I can't do life with other people the way God intended in harmony and in unity unless God changes my heart. Are you with me? C.S. Lewis, um, the great, great Christian writer, Amazing uh, man, um, one of the most prolific uh, Christian writers that's ever lived, has an amazing story. You know, he was a uh, he was a Cambridge and Oxford Oxford professor in the early twentieth uh, century in, in England, and I came to know Christ. And uh, he was a believer for many years, but then something happened in 1951. He says that changed everything for him. He was already had already. Uh, Put his faith in Christ. But he says in, in his letters to, to one of his uh, preacher friends, he says, during the past year, this is, this is April of 1951, he said, during the past year, a great joy has befallen me. I love that language. Difficult though it is, I shall try to explain it in words. It is astonishing that sometimes we believe that we believe what we really in our heart do not believe. 
Did you catch that with the English language? And it's kind of it's weird how he says it. He says, it's astonishing to me that we believe that we believe what we really don't believe. He's referring to grace here. For a long time, I believed that I believed in the forgiveness of sins. But suddenly, on St. Mark's Day, April 25th, this truth appeared in my mind in so clear a light that I perceived that never before and that after many confessions and absolutions, had I believed it with my whole heart. So great is the difference between mere affirmation by the intellect and that of faith. Fixed in the very marrow of my bones. In in 1951, Lewis says he had a grace awakening. He was already a believer, but he had a grace awakening. He was already a, a Christ follower. But on that day, something changed for him. He says his faith stopped being mere affirmation of intellect. In other words, a belief in theory and suddenly became a part of who he was. He said it seeped down into the marrow of his bones, the grace of God. Today, my desire for you, church, our desire for for all of us is that you would have a grace awakening. I remember um, I was about 12 or 13. Me and my cousin were throwing a baseball in my, my papa's backyard at their house, and I was visiting them, and you know, my grandfather came out, and he never got really excited about much. You know, if he got mad, it, it, the, you know, we, were, we, we stopped dead in our tracks. We, something, we were, we, you know, we were scared. But he was so mild-mannered, and he, he came out, and we were throwing, and we were throwing um, right in line with his, his workshop, his workshed. He was a carpenter, and there was a tiny little window, and I was throwing towards the window, and my cousin, I was like, yeah, we're good. And he said, boys, you're going to break that window. Boys, you're going to break that window. You say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, whatever. Like, I, it's me we're talking about. Like, I'm, I'm not going to miss his glove. And even if, I, even if I'm a little off, my cousin, he plays bass. I mean, he's good. I mean, he's going to catch. I think he's going to go. Obviously, you know what happened. I sailed one. My cousin tried to ice cream cone it. Went off his glove. Shattered the window. My grandfather walks out and stands there. He looked, he does this number. He looks at me, he looks at my cousin, he looks at the broken window. And we're waiting for the boom, right? He said, if you break it, you're going to buy it and fix it. He didn't say a word. He just walked back in. And we thought, oh, man, this is much worse. This is much worse than we thought. Next day, I, I wake up. And it was early. I walk outside just to, you know, scope out the damage one more time, see what was going to be required of me. And I found my grandfather fixing that window. He'd gone early and bought another window, and he's fixing it himself. He just fixed our mess. He didn't say a word. He never, ever mentioned it again. I told this story at my papa's funeral. I recall that story, and God whispered to me almost audibly, this is what grace looks like. 
From that point on, my understanding of grace changed. And that kiddie pool of grace I'd been wading in my whole life suddenly led out to an ocean I didn't even know existed, right? This is what grace is. This is what it does. God desires to draw you out of the darkness of self-doubt, out of the darkness of of perpetual disobedience and perpetual self-hate or perpetual uh, turmoil with others. God, God desires to draw you out of that darkness into the light of grace, out of the darkness of pleasing God and into the light of living for a God who is pleased with me. For nothing I have done to deserve that. You see how that changes? From out of the darkness of being a good Christian, y'all, into the light of the shackles of good behavior coming off and understanding that grace cannot be earned and just living into that this morning. To walk in the light of grace, to walk out of here trusting God like you've never trusted him before, to walk out of here understanding that you are who God says you are and not what the world says, ready to see yourself as God sees you, ready to pour out grace on those who really, really need it right now. To put that grace into practice and not just have it a mere, be a mere religious idea or belief. So they can... Others can have an aha moment like you've had. Maybe you're having one right now. Maybe grace is becoming more real to you now than it's ever been. One interesting thing that will happen, I'm going to ask the band to come up. One interesting thing that will happen, folks, listen, as you draw near to God, as you release your life to him, as you release your life to God, Here's what will happen. As you understand how desperately God wants you and pursues you, a funny thing will happen. When you start scratching the surface and pulling back what grace really is, the depth of it, you'll start pursuing God too. You'll start chasing after God, and pleasing God will no longer be a task. It will just happen. It'll just happen. You don't have to clean up to please God. I want you to know God is pleased with you today. Man, come on up. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to bow your heads. We're going to pray, and we're going to worship together, and we're going we're gonna to say amen and get out of here. But as we pray and we get ready to worship, we're asking God to do something that that might be uncomfortable for us. We're asking God to change fundamentally how we see him. It's not easy to do. We're asking God to change everything we thought we knew about grace and we thought we knew about salvation and we thought we knew about redemption and who God is and who we are in, in relation to that. We're asking God to change that. I want you to take a minute or two before we sing, and I want you to, I want you to have a, a quick conversation with God. First and foremost, I want you to ask him to change the way you, you view him, to reveal 
the mystery of his goodness and his character to you right now in this moment. And the second thing is to ask God to change through his grace how you see yourself. And finally, there are people in our lives that need to be shown grace through our lives. Ask God to show you how. God may put someone's name on your heart and your mind. God, how, how can I be a person that shows grace to this person, even if it's a person I don't get along with or I don't like very, very much? Take a moment and do that. We're going to worship.